Hello, everybody. Satirius Johnson here. Before we begin this episode of California Now, I'd like to talk briefly about our podcast and California's gradual reopening in the wake of the COVID-19 virus. While many of us have stayed home in recent months and put off travel plans, I'm willing to bet you've felt eager to get back out in the world. Like me, you may have been dreaming of your next California adventure. Well, this episode is part of a greatest hit series we've been working on from home to showcase some of the best spots in Southern, Central, and Northern California. As you venture back out, keep in mind some places in California may take some time to reopen and may have new guidelines in place. And please reference the articles and information on Visit California's Responsible Travel Hub, which you can find at visitcalifornia.com. Thanks, and please enjoy this episode of California Now. Welcome to a special edition of California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. In this episode, we're touring Northern California. We'll start with a bit of shopping in the San Francisco Bay Area, then head north with stops along the California Cheese Trail. After that, we'll sample some farm-to-fork dining in Sacramento. Everything I've ever had there is delicious, and they also have a beautiful patio that's great for the almost nine months of like warm evenings for dining outside that we can get here in Sacramento. We'll also pay a visit to Butte County, an amazing place for outdoor fun that's full of surprises. The next thing I knew, these waves of birds were, were coming up oh, over wow. this. It was <laughs> unbelievable, the, the number of <laughs> birds. It was, it was great. It was so thrilling. And we'll also check out California's wild north coast before exploring the spiritual side of Mount Shasta. That's all coming up on California Now. Our Northern California adventure begins with shopping in the San Francisco Bay Area. Whether you're in the market for some snappy new shoes, jewelry, or a gift for someone special, blogger Erica Chan Kaufman explains why this is a great place to enjoy some retail therapy. I asked her to tell us where she'd start in San Francisco. Oh, wow. There's so many amazing neighborhoods in San Francisco, and they're all so different. The first, I would say, is the Dog Patch, which is growing like crazy. But one of the first residents in the dog patch is Briar. The designer's name is Isabel Schofield, and she makes clogs. And all of her clogs are made in her San Francisco studio slash warehouse, which was coincidentally an old former clog factory back yeah. in San Francisco's industrial era. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. And so you kind of like play around and try clogs on and figure out which style you like the best, and they'll custom make your own pair of clogs. What I love is that they're an all-female-run company. She's growing like crazy, and her clogs are insanely comfortable. Wow. So so what else? What other places that we need to check out when, when we're in San Francisco? Pack Heights is amazing. Fillmore has, you know, has always been an amazing shopping destination. There have been some newcomers in the last few years, including Frida Salvador, which is also another shoe company that I'm also equally obsessed with. I'm sensing a trend here with your shoe obsession. <laughs> I love shoes. Um, <laughs> 
So, yeah, so Frida Salvador is made up of two women, Christina Nelson and Megan Pappy, and they started Frida Salvador in 2012. And I really feel like they're responsible for putting San Francisco on, like, the fashion style map. And I feel like that kind of, their shoes kind of epitomize San Francisco style. They're, like, edgy, but also utilitarian, a little masculine, but feminine, Um, And if you walk around San Francisco, you will notice many women in San Francisco wear Frida Salvador shoes. They're (laughs) so good. That's great. So how about another one? How about a non-shoe pick that we have to hit? Okay, a (laughs) non-shoe. Hayes Valley is an amazing shopping destination. Tons of restaurants, amazing vintage stores, home decor stores. My favorite is Metier. It's a little jewelry store, and they sell vintage and antique jewels, as well as jewelry from new, modern, contemporary, independent designers. And you walk in, and it's just like, it really is like walking into a little jewel box. The the walls are all painted dark blue, and it's just, it's so beautiful, and really, you can find something for everybody. All right, let's do the same thing now uh, in the East Bay. Is there a distinctive, say, Berkeley or Oakland look? Yeah, there are amazing, amazing places to shop here in the East Bay. One of them is Temescal Alley, which is in Oakland. And it's this little alleyway that was apparently back in the day lined with stables for horses that pulled the town's trolleys. Um, But now it's home to a bunch of independent shops and restaurants and artist spaces. And it's a pedestrian-only alleyway. And some of my favorite shops there are Esqueleto, which is also a jewelry store, um, vintage and modern, uh, Dop City, which is a new shoe store, new shoe label, um, the Vintage Rug Shop, which also just opened. Um, she sells a bunch of vintage rugs and housewares. It's beautiful, beautiful inside. And then one of my favorites and where I spend way too much money is Crimson Horticulture Rarities. Um, the store has plants and amazing ceramics, um, pots for plants, plant hangers, all sorts of little kind of like cute tchotchkes, um, candles. It's just like, it's where I go to buy gifts for people. It's amazing. Just beautifully curated. Right. Did you want to mention any place in Berkeley? Yes. Berkeley. Tale of the Yak. This is my all-time favorite store in the whole world. It is otherworldly. Um, This place is sort of like a Berkeley institution. It is amazing. Everyone must go. It's magic. So the owners travel all over the world and bring back stuff from China, Venice, Oaxaca, Ukraine. There's like paper lanterns from China, antique Murano glass chandeliers from Venice, They have like a huge birdhouse in the middle of the store, and they have two white doves in the (laughs) that hang out in the birdhouse. I mean, it's like insane. It's just like you feel like you've stepped into like a fairyland. Um, They have blouses, vintage blouses from Oaxaca, jeweled patches from India, and um, hand stitched tablecloths from Ukraine. And they also carry a lot of like paper crafts from local artists. I mean, it's just like a visual explosion. It's a gem. Um, it's actually very overwhelming because it's just so stunning. Um, and there's just so much stuff in there in such a small space. But, um, I mean, I could easily spend an hour in there. I mean, it is, it's incredible.
If you love cheese, California boasts dozens of creameries, and my next guest, Vivian Strauss, grew up on one of them. She's mapped out what's known as the California Cheese Trail, a constellation of creameries where you can visit, see how different cheeses are made, and of course, take home tasty samples. I asked where she'd head if she were starting her cheese tour just north of San Francisco in Marin County. Okay, so if I were in Marin, I actually any of these places to get on a farm tour, you usually have to plan ahead because these things are booked out usually, you know, sometimes a month in advance, sometimes only a week in advance, but it's good to plan ahead if you want to go on a farm tour. So there's like Ramini mozzarella, which is water buffalo, which is very odd. I believe there are only two water buffalo um, herds in California and probably less than a handful of any in the United States. And if you go there, you not only get to taste the mozzarella, you hear the story, and then you the the cheesemaker, Audrey Hitchcock, will take you out with a brush and you get to brush the, the water buffalo. <laughs> and this is one of my favorite things to do because if you brush them, their tails will curl and then they will actually collapse on the ground in ecstasy. <laughs> and it's the most <laughs> bizarre thing you have ever seen, but it is hilarious. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite uh, tours. Point Race Farmstead, which is nationwide, actually, their cheese. They were the first blue cheese in California. And they have Friday farm tours where you can go, they greet you with some ice cream, and then they take you into their barn and they give you this whole array of cheese on a cheese platter. And you, you learn about cows, you see what they eat. That's another one I love. And then Cowgirl Creamery has a shop in Point Reyes where you can learn how Cheese is actually made. Watch the cheese making through the window, and you get to taste, of course, all their cheeses, and you can purchase cheeses there. And then there's Tamales Farmstead, which has a once-a-month tour on the first Sunday of every month, and they have goats and sheep and cheese there. And it's just, like, fun. You get to see the 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 goats being milked or the sheep, whichever ones, and you get right up close and see it. It's It's really fun. All right, let's go even further east, up toward the mountains. What are what are some can't-miss places for folks headed into the Sierra foothills? Well, one of the places I mentioned was Jollity Farms. That's the one that's near the uh, gold country, and it's near Sutter, Sutter Mill. And then there's Long Dream Farm, and that is an interesting story. That's um, I believe they were a couple of stockbrokers. It's a couple with their children, and they decided they were going to give up New York City and go live in the country and buy some land and prove that you could have make a living being a farmer. Now, I have no idea if they have succeeded, but they are making cheese and butter, and they go to the farmer's market every week, and they have a myriad of animals on that farm that they're just, they have every type of animal, and they give farm tours. So you actually, and they know all their animals, and it's just kind of fun. You know, their dog will come out and greet you, and that's a cool thing to do. And then there's Orland, Orland Farmstead, which is a farm, he has only 25 cows, and, you know, the bull will follow him around. And he met a cheesemaker and she's now making cheese for him. And he, he heats his water in this huge kiln. I mean, you know, nobody heats their water. You know, usually you get it from the city, but he actually heats his own water for the dairy by putting wood in this big kiln and, and heating water. So, you know, people are doing interesting things. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love the story of the couple, the stock former stockbrokers who decided to just leave the city and go out and go farm and cheese, make cheese. I mean, I love that idea. It's a dream that so many city folk have, you know, and they're actually living it. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's and I think it's probably great for their kids too. So oh, yeah. <laughs> they seem really, really, really happy, I have to say. 
Do, do you think there are any particular kinds of cheese that people tend to underrate or overlook? I mean, any that you'd recommend trying? Uh, maybe like give us one hard cheese and one soft cheese. Let's see. Okay. Well, if you go to a very a hard cheese, I would say Vela Dry Jack, which you can get in the town of Sonoma, is really America's version of Parmesan. And that would be an interesting, they rub it with cocoa and oil, I believe. And that is an interesting cheese if you're looking for a parm that's made in California. I, I You know, I would also try Cowgirl Red Hawk, which is an incredibly unique cheese. It is made can only be made in Point Reyes because cheeses are made by adding a culture to the milk. And uh, in this cheese, it's actually the cowgirl creamily is only able to make this cheese in Point Reyes because the bacteria is in the air and is attracted when they wash the the cheese itself with a brine. The culture is then attracted to it and it creates a cheese that can be made nowhere else in the world. That's incredible. What does it taste like? You know, it smells stinky and it doesn't taste stinky. It's like, it looks like a, it looks a little bit like a mm, camembert or something, but it's not white on the outside. It's red or orange on the outside. That's really cool. Um, Well, you know, we have to wrap up soon, but is there anything people need to know ahead of visiting a creamery? I think, I think with wine, sometimes people worry that they, they have to get the etiquette or the terminology right before they go, or, and it's usually much more mellow and relaxing than that in reality. Uh, is that the same with cheese? I would say the things you need to know is just book ahead, check on the website, see where you're going to go. And I would say wear shoes that you don't care about them getting smussed up. You definitely do not dress up for a cheese tour. So, you know, <laughs> especially a farm tour anyway, you know, just enjoy yourself. Wear layers if it's on the coast, you know, and, you know, have fun, be open, taste things, don't be afraid. As a now-established culinary destination, Sacramento offers everything from craft beer to ethnic food to Michelin-starred farm-to-fork dining. That's thanks to its location amid over a million acres of world-class farmland. I asked food critic Kate Washington to tell me about some of her favorite places in town. Three that I would recommend would be Mulvaney's, which is um, run by Patrick and Bobbin Mulvaney. They are kind of... um, Oh, real stars of the local food scene. They've also nurtured a lot of other chefs. They do an incredible pork chop. It's um, The restaurant is charmingly in a historic firehouse, a brick firehouse. And if any of your listeners saw Lady Bird, that firehouse used to house New Helvetia Coffee, which was a midtown favorite going way back, and it's where Lady Bird was supposed to work at the coffee shop. Um, But now it houses Mulvaney's, and it's a really friendly, a little bit quirky, accessible to everybody. Everything I've ever had there is delicious. And they also have a beautiful patio that's great for the almost nine months of like warm evenings for dining outside that we can get here in Sacramento. Yeah, I've heard wonderful things about Mulvaney's. It's definitely on my list. To, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm I'm yeah. definitely uh, at the top of my list. Okay, where, where, what's another farm to fork favorite? Next, I would say Ella Dining Room and Bar, which is downtown um, at 12th and K Streets. It is um, run by the Selland family, who have a number of local restaurants. Um, Josh Josh Nelson, one member of the family, was really instrumental in creating and pushing forward the farm-to-fork movement as kind of a brand for the city of Sacramento. 
it's a really great um, special occasion restaurant, but you can also go there and sit at the bar and get oysters or bone marrow, um, uh, interesting cocktails. Their menu changes seasonally, as do all of the places I think that I'm going to mention. Um, but they're a real standby of fine dining in Sacramento and, and not to be missed. All right. And what about the third? Um, for the third, I would mention a newcomer, Canon. That's C-A-N-O-N, not with two ends like the gun. Um, it is the brainchild of Clay Nutting, who is a local restaurateur, and Brad Chakey, who's the chef. He is a Sacramento native who left after his culinary training and went and worked other places. He worked, um, he helmed the kitchen at Soul Bar in Calistoga, um, which had a Michelin star. So he has some really high-end fine dining experience, but he's come home and he and Clay Nutting have opened this um, restaurant in East Sacramento, which is a neighborhood just outside of the downtown core, but very easy to get to for visitors. Um, and their place uses a lot of interesting global flavors, does some really interesting things with vegetables. One of my favorite things there is an enormous um, pickled vegetable platter that, you know, you wouldn't think, oh, pickled vegetable plate, it doesn't sound necessarily that interesting, but they present it on crushed ice and it's absolutely beautiful. It looks like a party on this huge platter. And they <laughs> they change up what the vegetables are seasonally, but it's visually stunning. The place is um, has a great bar, has another great patio. They do a really great brunch. Um, and yes, of course, they have avocado toast, but it has crab on it and it's really <laughs> delicious. So that's a, a favorite. All right. Excellent. I think we've checked off the uh, farm to fork box, but I'm pretty sure there's <laughs> a lot more to discuss. What's another culinary category that Sacktown does really well? Sacramento has a hugely diverse immigrant community, and those communities have brought their flavors and all of their amazing cuisines to Sacramento. And we have a th incredible thriving Vietnamese cooking scene, Mexican, of course, there's Kore great Korean restaurants. Um, and a kind of a newer trend is a blossoming of Middle Eastern and halal restaurants. Uh, we have a, an enormous refugee population here in Sacramento, and some of uh, that cuisine is really starting to become a lot more available and really delicious. All right, let's let's talk about some of the uh, the ethnic food that's available in Sacramento. I'm I'm still kind of exploring the Vietnamese cuisine, which I'm I'm really realizing maybe one of my favorite ethnic cuisines out there. Um, I've recently come across mm -hmm. a restaurant called Kam uh, Tam Dat Tan in Little Saigon. Uh, do, do you happen to know that place? I do. I reviewed it not too long ago. The broken rice plates place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, They've got I amazing dishes. And I think for, you know, travelers who are up for a little travel outside of the downtown core, driving down Stockton Boulevard, which is the heart of the Little Saigon neighborhood, and just stopping in at some of the markets, at some of the restaurants, checking out what's out there is such a great way to spend a few hours in Sacramento. And it gives you a side of Sacramento that many casual visitors might not see, but is that a really, that is a really thriving part of the city and of the culture. You know, you mentioned halal earlier, and mm -hmm. so so what what can what can people find here? And is, is it is it mostly cuisine from a certain country or a certain part of uh, the Middle East, or what? What exactly? What are the highlights of the halal cuisine? 
Right. There are a number of different um, different options, I guess. Um, we in in Sacramento, there have been a lot of there are strong refugee communities from Afghanistan and Iraq, as well as other areas of the broader Middle East. Um, but I'm really excited about some of the more Iraqi leaning restaurants. A lot of the restaurants that are opening that are Middle Eastern are are kind of pan Middle Eastern. You know, they don't they don't claim one particular identity, but if you start asking a few questions, you can find out, you know, what the what their what their real specialties are. So one um Fulton Avenue, which is a little bit on in the eastern um fringe of the city has a lot of these restaurants. Um, one I really loved is Mediterranean Kitchen and Bakery, which is a very simple name, but they are turning out breads as you go in there. They have a huge bakery. They do a um, they do like a, a lamajun, a flatbread topped with ground lamb that is fantastic. Um, they also do a um, these crescent-shaped kind of pillowy Iraqi breads called samoon that are delicious, um, but it's just a great place to sit down and have a meal. You know, a great thing for a visitor to do, um, one of the real strengths of, of Sacramento that is not culinary is um, our riverside parks along the American River, and there's a big, big, beautiful bike trail. And if you're out that way and wanting to have a picnic by the river, I really um, recommend stopping off at a place called Babylon City Market, which is near some of the, the parks that are along the river. They have amazing lamb shanks, they have great kebabs, and they also have a lot of the fresh breads. Um, just a really delicious and maybe a little different way to get a great picnic and a Sacramento experience that's maybe a little off the beaten track. North of Sacramento, you'll find Butte County. Besides the college town of Chico, with its great coffee shops and brewing companies, it boasts some 1,500 square miles, where my next guest says you can enjoy a wide variety of outdoor adventures. Author Tracy Salcedo says a particular feature you won't want to miss in Butte County is the Feather River. Well, yeah, um, the Feather River runs through it, and it's spectacular. There are many, many sites along the Feather that you can go, and you can do birding, you can do hiking, um, swimming, swimming holes, things like that. One of the things that I think about, it's called Feather Falls, and it's a 400-foot waterfall that falls into Lake Oroville. It's outside of the town of Oroville, which is another pretty large uh, community in Butte County. Um, it's a nine-mile loop. It's a beautiful trail, one of the most lovely, um, well-built trails that I've walked on. Um, another place that is spectacular is North Table Mountain Ecological Reserve. Um, there's a 2.5-mile hike to a place called Hollow Falls up there. But what's even more spectacular, it's a it's a mesa top that overlooks the northern Sacramento Valley. And it's known for its super blooms. So when Northern California gets a really great uh, rainfall, winter, the mesa top blooms. Okay. And, and where do we go next? Well, we're going to head north from Chico, and we're going to head up Highway 32, which follows Deer Creek. And Deer Creek is one of the major drainages in that region. And there are trails along there that lead along the creek, number one, but also to waterfalls along the creek. So as you're driving north from Chico toward Lassen Volcanic National Park, you can pull over uh, by the side of the road, 
place called Lower Deer Creek. There's a trailhead there. And wander on down the creek to a beautiful series of cascades. You can wander down to the river. There is a place called, I believe it's called Big Maple, where there's a pool and you can hang out by the pool under a big maple and have your lunch Hmm. there before you come on back. Sounds great. Where next? Where next? Well, let's go to Gray Lodge. Gray Lodge is a wildlife area that's on the border of Sutter County and Butte County, kind of in the south part of the of the area. And it's a spectacular birding site. It has a driving and walking trails. Um, and one of the trails has blinds on it that overlook ponds. And in those ponds, you're going to see every possible kind of bird that you could imagine. Um, There was one time I was walking there and I walked out on a boardwalk and I was trying to sneak up because the whole pond was covered with ducks and sandhill cranes and (laughs) swans and I just wasn't quiet enough. And the next thing I knew, these waves of birds were were coming up over this. It was unbelievable that the number of <laughs> birds it was it was great it was so thrilling that sounds amazing and it's really close to the Sutter Buttes which is actually in Sutter County a little bit south but that little volcanic range um, is iconic in that area and is also well worth exploring are, are there opportunities to learn about the Native American history of the area there are um, in the Sutter Buttes Uh, which is actually a a private property, there's an organization called Middle Mountain Interpretive Hikes, and they offer guided hikes in that Sutter Butte range. And these hikes take place between October and May, and there are various themes and ranges of difficulty. But one of them is uh, a sacred way, and it's led by a Native American, and he will, it's an incredible experience to walk with him or, and, Explore the Sutter Buttes off trail and go to Hmm. places that you might, well, you wouldn't see because you wouldn't know they were there. Grandmother trees and, um, you know, old fences, old stonework fences. And he talks a lot about what that particular mountain range, that volcanic range means to the local Maidu, as well as um, just the broader uh, awareness of the fact that there were people here before we were, and they walked in the same places that we walk. It's great to look at the landscape through his eyes, understand what it, what an acorn means to, to the landscape and to the people, what an oak means. That sounds amazing. You mentioned a grandmother tree. W- what's a grandmother tree? A grandmother tree is, you can find them kind of all over the place, but they're really, really old trees. So in the Sutter Buttes and uh, in any forest, there are trees that have been around long enough that you can just feel their weight. One of the things that uh, the fellow that I hiked with pointed out was there's a tree where the grandmother's limbs have reached out and they, she's old enough and she's been around long enough that now she reaches down and she touches the ground. So you walk kind of into the arch under, under her arms, as it were. And mm, right. you know, it, it, it's a pretty profound experience to stand next to something that old and that grand. Yeah. They seem wise. And to be able to visit that area with an, a Native American guide who knows the history, you know, going back hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, that's just, I mean, you can't top that. No, you really can't. Um, at the end of the hike, he had us all sit 
quietly. And there's, you know, most people are kind of impatient, right? (laughs) And he pushed us to sit longer. And it was really an incredible experience to just be there and be quiet. My next guest says road tripping up the coast of Northern California could be your ideal getaway if you want to experience redwoods, canoeing, and lots of ultra-fresh seafood. Travel blogger Jessica Wright kicked off her wild North Coast adventure in the small community of Mendocino on Highway 1. That part of California is a really rugged landscape as far as like these pastoral lands that hit the coast with really high cliffs. And then there's these little kind of inlets that you can pop into and Mendocino is somewhere that I really love, mostly because you just feel really at peace there. There's something, I don't know, the, the light fog in the morning that lifts by lunch, and then you have like blue skies, especially during the months of September and October. And there's just a real connection with nature there. And you're finding just opportunities to be outside. And And some of those for me look like going to Russian Gulch State Park, where you can go hike along the coast and see these just crystal clear turquoise waters that lap up against the beach, or you can also take outrigger canoes with this company called Catch a Canoe up the Big River Estuary and get really close to wildlife like harbor seals and river otters and and birds. And then all of that, you can also still experience great dining, which for me is a, a big plus in Northern California. Oh, yeah. So so tell us a little bit about the places you stayed. Uh, where did you eat? Uh, you know, give us a flavor of your stay. So we checked into the Glen Devon Inn for a night, which is a historic farm that's been renovated into this kind of upscale inn that does some really special things like serving a breakfast in room. So when you wake up in the morning around 9 a.m., they drop off this basket with with eggs that are actually used from the free ranging chickens that are right on property. And, you know, they make fresh scones and a pitcher of coffee. And that for me is like quintessential Northern California inexperience. And it's stunning. You have the ocean in the background. It's pretty special. And then in town of Mendocino, two restaurants that I really love is Flo. And that's upstairs. And you have great ocean views from there. They make some killer fish tacos. And then Cafe Beaujolais, which is a higher end experience. French cuisine, they have like a great uh, seafood linguine dish. And then I had a wonderful steak tartare that night. Oh, that sounds really great. What else is there to do there? What are you um, going to experience when you're there? So you can head over to Sea Glass Beach. That's an iconic beach in this area of Mendocino County. And you can find um, it's a small stretch of sand that has all these washed up pieces of glass. And it's just really pretty. And I've never seen anything like it before as far as uh, my explorations of the coast in California. And then one other standout area is Noyo Harbor, which is where a lot of our seafood actually comes from. And there's one great little restaurant that I love called Princess Seafood. And this woman-only crew runs the FV Princess, which goes out on the ocean to search for the best seafood. And they have an incredible Dungeness crab sandwich, which for me is an absolute must when that when you're in that area. Yeah. You know, and, you know, everybody knows that Highway 1 in and around Big Sur is incredibly beautiful, but I would argue it's probably just as lovely in northern Sonoma County and Mendocino County. Did you did you actually enjoy the drive itself? Yeah. And I, I think what I love about the drive on that part is that the road's a little bit wider. And so you get to have a little bit more views of the entire area. You have some, you know, landscape to your right. And then to the left, you obviously have the Pacific Ocean the entire time. And there's these kind of like inlets that pull in off of the cliffs that have just the most incredible watercolor. It's like this turquoise blue. It's like a sherbet ice cream is how I would describe it. 
<laughs> that sounds really lovely. Uh, where to next? Uh, this is deep in Redwood country, right? Exactly. And so as you take the Highway 1 up, you're actually going to eventually catch the Highway 101 north. And as you make your way up there, there's one 31-mile-long road that you have to drive, and it's called the Avenue of the Giants. And it runs through these 2,000-year-old redwood trees that are seriously tall. They're some of the tallest trees in the world, actually. And you can drive it, and so you get a good sense of, hey, this is what this area is all about. And that is in Humboldt County at this point. Wow. You know, I love wandering through a redwood grove. It's just so peaceful and calm. Are there spots along the way where you can just kind of uh, stop off and maybe hike in a little bit? Yeah, and the Avenue of the Giants, one of the more popular groves to check out is called Founders Grove. And it's there's great signage along as you go through. And you can pull off, park your car, and go for a really just serene walk. And you know most of the trails are flat, so it's really family-friendly. Did you get any good uh, photographs of these massive trees? I did, yeah. That was, it's actually, it's, it's quite challenging to capture them because they're so tall. So you find yourself kind of sitting on the, the pavement, pointing your camera straight up, and <laughs> you still can't see the tops of these redwoods. I think it's always good to have like a point of reference too. Like if you can get like uh, your travel companion to be next to the trunk, just to get a sense of the the scale of it. It's almost hard to comprehend. Yes, yeah. And I took a I took one photo where I look very very much like an ant compared <laughs> to the redwoods. That's really cool. So so where did you go next? After that, we stopped into the um, town of Eureka, and. What was a standout experience for me there was a Lost Coast Brewery, which I've been drinking their beers here locally in Sacramento, you know, and in San Francisco the last few years. So getting to visit the brewery, which is just right off the freeway, is a great pit stop for lunch or dinner, and you get to try some of the local brews. That's always a nice a nice uh, part of the trip, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, a nice refill. So where did you go next? After that, we made our way to Trinidad, which was our home base for two nights. And Trinidad blew me away because of its location and its access to everything that is coastal and redwoods. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about Trinidad. I mean, uh, what are some of the foodie highlights of that town? So two foodie highlights that for me were standout experiences was um, having sunset and happy hour bites and drinks at the Moonstone Grill, which sits over Moonstone Beach. We popped in there, we sat at the bar, had a glass of wine and just soaked in the views. It was, you know, a local had recommended it to us and they said, yeah, you definitely want to go for happy hour. That's a special spot to go for. And so that was one night. And then the next night we went to this place called the Larapin Cafe, which was just tucked up off of the freeway um, about five minutes outside of Trinidad. And they have a mesquite grill and a patio and they had live jazz band that was playing. And they use a bunch of locally sourced ingredients, which for me, again, is a, a special part of this, you know, this part of California. And both of those, you know, one thing you definitely have to try when you're up there is the, the local oysters from Humboldt if you like seafood. Mount Shasta in Siskiyou County is among the tallest in California. And besides being a picturesque playground for all sorts of outdoor activities, many visitors go there for a kind of spiritual reset. Andrew Ozer has been leading Mount Shasta retreats for decades, and he likes to describe it as a 14,000-foot mirror that reflects back the deepest truth in your heart. So everybody who comes here experiences that reflection. They feel something deep inside. And they interpret it according to whatever beliefs they're carrying with them. It kind of speaks to your own inner spirituality, no matter what it is. Very much so. You know, the name Shasta comes from a Russian word, Shastya, which means happiness. And some of my Russian 
clients have said it's not just normal happiness. It means like eternal happiness or pure happiness. And the way it got that name is that after the gold rush, when people from all over the world were coming here to look for gold, and I don't think it was gold on Mount Shasta, but there was gold as close as Wairika, which is this 30 miles up the road. So some of the people who came looking for the gold were Russians, and they saw the mountain, they felt this energy, the energy I've been talking about, and they said, Shastya, and I feel this incredible happiness. And so that name became slightly anglicized, and it became Mount Shasta. So this is really the mountain of eternal happiness, and people really do find that here, for real. Well, I think we can all use a little more happiness nowadays. Yeah, I think bottom line, everybody wants happiness. And a lot of people are trying to get happiness by getting more stuff or better job or, you know, they're looking for how to happiness in, in the outer world. And I think when you come to Mount Shasta, you, you remember that the happiness is already inside of you and you don't need a bigger house or more money in your bank account. You can just be happy right now just by relaxing and focusing into your heart more deeply. It almost sounds like, for many people, a journey to Mount Shasta is almost like a pilgrimage. Is that kind of a fair assessment? I'd say very much so. I mean, it's, it's a place you can go where you can really come home to yourself. It's a place you can come where you can just release all the cares of the world, all the stresses and pain you may have accumulated, and just come back to your original true nature, which to me is peace and goodness and innocence. So I would definitely consider that a pilgrimage for sure. Now, I, I consider myself a fairly spiritual person and, you know, I love to commune with nature, but I'm probably quite conventional compared to some of your guests. Uh, for instance, I love like the sensation I get from being deep in a redwood grove, but I don't meditate or anything like that. Do you think somebody like me would get value out of one of your tours? Yeah, 100%. I mean, first of all, we'd be visiting incredibly beautiful places and second, I think if you're not experienced in meditation, I offer guided meditation. And that, I think that would help you to go deeper and just receive deeper the energies and the gifts of the mountain and the special places I would take you to. Do you find that people who've never meditated before kind of take to it quickly on, a, on one of your tours? Honestly, I prefer to take out people who are kind of newbies and don't have a lot of concepts and experience. And sometimes when you're just new and you're fresh and open, you can actually receive more you know, than if you've been meditating 40 years and think you know everything. <laughs> I'd love to get a sense of a few of the different tours that you offer so we can give listeners a sense of, of what to expect. Can you explain some of the differences and, and share some of the details? I can walk you through a typical tour. So I often like to start with a waterfall. There's a kind of off-the-beaten-track waterfall I love that I feel is a great place for the reset we just talked about a moment ago. It's a place where it's very cleansing. The energy of the falls is very strong and I like to do a Hawaiian prayer there. That's also a prayer for reset. And the combination of the energy of the falls and the energy of the prayer is, I'd say, is very synergistic. Almost everybody experiences feeling very refreshed, lighter, freer, happier after that. And that would be about maybe half-hour walk round trip to the falls and back. Maybe first we'd go to a place in the woods. It's very peaceful, serene place, great place for dropping in deep and having a very peaceful, calming meditation. Then maybe we drive a little higher up, and a little higher up, there's an incredible rock formation. It's physically, it's pretty amazing, and energetically, it's very powerful. And there's actually a little small cave in the rock formation, which is a great meditation spot. And then maybe from there, we drive higher up the mountain, and there's another spot that's over 8,000 feet I love. It's above the tree line. Just see an incredible, inspiring 360 view. And I like to do visioning there. It's, you know, for me, a complete journey is past, present, and future. 
So after cleaning out the old energies, renewing the connection in the present, the final piece is opening the vision for the future. So I found this high spot with the inspiring vistas, a great place just to, from a very expanded kind of top of the world, above the human drama place, to look at your life and get inspiration for next steps. How important is physical fitness? Do your guests need to be mountain climbers to go on these tours, or do you have easier and more difficult tours? Yeah, you know, most of the tours are very easy. A lot of my favorite places are accessible with a hike of 10 minutes or less, and often those hikes are pretty level. Some of them do have uphill, but, you know, I'd say if someone's even an average or even somewhat below average physical condition, we can design an itinerary that'll, that'll work for them. You know, it's really so great to learn about all this, Andrew, and, I, and I'm more than a little intrigued. I'm curious, what do you enjoy about taking people on these tours? I'm guessing you derive some personal joy from sharing these, these sacred sites with travelers. First of all, I love the mountain, and that's why I live here. That's why I guide people here, since I really do have a deep love for the mountain. So just being on the mountain and being in these special places is always a joy for me. We hope you enjoyed this audio tour of Northern California. California Now is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find more episodes of our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. And you can find links to the many places we talked about in today's episode on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This episode rounds out a three-part series that also highlights stops in Central and Southern California, If you haven't already, be sure to check those episodes out to get a comprehensive look at this vast and magnificent state. 